Welcome, everyone. It's the deadest day in sports. We had the All-Star game last night. We got nothing. You know what we got? Me sitting there dreaming on the Scottish Open starting at 2.05 tomorrow morning. That's all we got tonight in the world of sports. It is the Fan Morning Show, Gunning and McKee. Busy final hour of the show coming up at 8.30. Barstool Riggs from the 4Play Podcast going to join us to discuss everything going on in the world of golf. But very happy to be joined by our first guest of the hour, this insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit at DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Ben Schulman joining us now. Ben, how are we doing today? Doing well, doing well. A little bit worried that you're about to stay up till 2 in the morning to watch the Scottish Open. I don't know if that's like a sleep before or a, or a stay up and all the way through type of thing, but uh, glad to be on, guys. Morning show hosts, we're, we're a different breed, okay? You know, I might I might sleep literally all day and just get up at 2 in the morning and then uh, watch a couple hours of golf, come in and do the show, and then watch a bunch more hours of golf. But uh, I won't, I won't, I, can, I feel like it's stressing you out, so we don't need to talk about my sleep. It stresses me out enough, so I will not put that on, on anybody else. Uh, so here we are at the halfway point of the Jays season, the unofficial halfway point, and I think the big question mark that people have for the second half of the season. You know, you look at Vladdy, what is going to happen with Manoa? The big question mark coming out of the All-Star break, though, is what's going on with Jordan Romano? Now, with something like lower back tightness, that could be nothing or that could be a big something. Uh, what's your level of concern seeing Romano walk off the field after just a couple of pitches last night? Yeah, it's kind of like a five or like a medium level of concern right now. Because like you said, it's one of those injuries that you never you never really know. It, it could be that we never hear of it again and he pitches on Friday. Or it could be one of those things. Obviously, as a pitcher, you use your back a lot. And it's something that can take on a lot of stress outside of just the stress that goes on your arm. And so it, it's never fun to see a pitcher get injured, you know, in an all-star game to whatever degree it might be. I, I am maybe a little bit encouraged by some of the reporting come out after uh, Shai Davidi of Sportsnet was, you know, mentioning that Romano said his back felt tight in the bullpen, but he wanted to go out. And I would imagine, I don't know this for sure, but I would imagine if it was something very serious, he would have never even gone out on the mound. So I, I think you hope that it's something that, you know, doesn't land him on the IL. He's been probably the most important reliever for the Blue Jays again this year. He's I think the major league leader in safe still. If he's not, he's like one off of it right now. So, yeah, it's definitely concerning given, you know, the ambiguity of the injury and his stature, and the Blue Jays got to hope that it's nothing major. Yeah, it sucks. No one ever gets hurt in All-Star games. Like, when's the last time somebody even got hurt in an All-Star game? Was it when that guy got ran over by Pete Rose back in the day like what it never happens <laughs> there were probably more kids uh, injured in the home run derby trying to catch yeah. ball balls Vladdy Vladdy got that one guy oh god that was that was scary yeah, it just ben. never happened yeah. so it's so uh, frustrating uh, for the Jays uh, to have their closer go into the game and it's my fault because last year I whined about him not getting into the game and yesterday morning I talked about how how important, how much he's earned the right to get into the game, and then he throws what he throw two pitches, and one of them was almost hit out of the park by his former teammate, and then he leaves the game. It was not the greatest performance from the Blue Jays at the All-Star game last night, I guess, other than Bo's RBI. 
Yeah, Bo, Vlad, I believe, still looking for their first all-star hits, but at least, you know, Bo drove in a run. Whit Merrifield got on. He did get uh, doubled off after a single, yeah. but that was a pretty phenomenal play by the, the corners of Austin Riley and Pete Alonso. So, yeah, I, I would I would understand if uh, most Blue Jays fans had a bit of a sour taste after that all-star game. There weren't that many highlights coming off of a great home run derby day and obviously even if the blue jays had had a great day romano getting injured is more important than any meaningless all-star hits really should have should have just gone to the cottage like he had planned i know i know he was planning to head up north uh, for the all-star break and as we all know no one's ever gotten into shenanigans and hurting their back in muskoka so that's that's totally that that would be totally <laughs> yeah. fine there's no way that could have ever happened uh, to him there i think a lot of the a lot of the conversation heading into the deadline with this team I think for a lot of people is going to be what should they add, but I think it's also going to be a fair question of should they add? I mean, this is a team that has the bones of a championship roster when you talk yourself into the best version of it, but it is also a team that's proved throughout the first half of the year that there are still some flaws. There's some areas you'd like shaping up. How aggressive do you think the team will be at the deadline, and how aggressive should they be given kind of where they're at in their winning window, whatever you want to consider that, be that Gosman's contract or if you're looking at it super long-term with Bo and Vladdy? I think, you know, if if everything were equal, they should be very, very aggressive. I, you know, as much as they haven't lived up to expectations so far this season, they do occupy the second wild card spot right now. Their seven-game deficit on the American League East isn't, isn't tiny, but it's also not completely insurmountable. There is, you know, if you play really good baseball – I think that there's a possibility to make up a lot of games there and make this a really interesting finish to the season. I I do think, though, that they are a bit more limited sometimes than we might think because they have made a good handful of trades recently and also with signings to, uh, to the CBA in Major League Baseball, you lose some draft picks. Like the Blue Jays didn't draft in the second round this past week because they signed Chris Bassett this year. And so I, I don't think that their prospect capital is necessarily, you know, tops of the league, even with some of the other contenders who have been making lots of trades and stuff like that. So I think they're going to try to be as aggressive as they can, especially in in certain spots like picking up, you know, high leverage relievers, but it, it would be, you know, interesting to see how they want to attack. If they're going to go after a starter, you mentioned Manoa and Ryu has pitched two strong rehab appearances as well. So what's the situation there? And then position players. It, it's interesting because you have to figure who you have to figure out who's getting fewer games. Really? I mean, uh, there are a couple of guys that have struggled offensively, but for the most part, it's going to be hard for them without giving up a ton, I think, to find guys that will have more value on the position player side than their starters. They kind of have their starting nine slash ten with the two catchers. So I think they're going to be as aggressive as they can, but they're a little bit more limited than some of the teams that they're competing against. So you mentioned Ryu and Manoa there, Ben. I I am so there might not be a start that I'd be more fascinated about than Alec Manoa's next one because he came up against Detroit and he was excellent. But we can all agree that Detroit is not, you know, well, they're better than the Florida Gulf Coast League team that he gave up 11 to. I, I don't guess. know. So, maybe not. I don't know. I, 
But I just, I don't know. His next one will probably be against either Arizona. And then they had the Padres in after that, right? So, like, those are two completely different animals in the Detroit Tigers. And I guess Ryu, I'm really fascinated by too. But, like, what are you expecting now how to handle Manoa? Like, is he just here now for good? If he has a bad one again, how do they handle him? Like, it's a really fascinating down the stretch for Manoa here with the Jays. Yeah, I think he'll be given, including that Detroit start, you know, three, four starts to try and kind of figure out what they have. You know, kind of like you probably shouldn't be too high on, you know, maybe a Detroit Tigers dominating start. If Juan Soto hits you out of the park, I mean, he does that to great starters and poor starters alike. So it it is a tough schedule coming up. I'm interested to see. I haven't seen them release the rotation yet whether they're going to line him up to pitch against Arizona and Seattle or San Diego and the Dodgers. Both of those pockets are not fun, like for any pitcher in Major League Baseball. Seattle has struggled to score, so maybe there's a feeling that you might want to, you know, put him there. But even the San Diego Padres, who are struggling, line up on a nightly basis. Tatis, Soto, Machado, Bogarts, Cronenworth, like, it's a, it's a serious buzzsaw, offensively at least, for the Padres. So I, I think you at least give them a, a couple starts and see what the trends are. You know, certain things like how often is he walking, guys? What's, you know, the movement looking like on his slider are almost a little independent of the results that he gets, be it the, you know, the runs he allows and the innings he goes. But, you know, he is going to have to continue to pitch at least well enough to keep the Blue Jays in games. And I think if he can keep them in games, he doesn't have to be a Cy Young finalist, but if he can go five innings, two runs, six innings, three runs, stuff like that, I think then the Blue Jays will feel good enough that it's, you know, definitely worth it to not have all their other starters pitch on short rest. Man, I just just looking at the Jays' sked here, we just talked about that little pocket. So it's it's Diamondbacks, Padres, Mariners, Dodgers. Hey, the Angels, that's an easy one. Then you got the Orioles, and then it's the Red Sox, who you haven't beat yet this year pretty much. Like, it is just a murderer's month and change coming up here. You want to talk about a make-or-break schedule of your season, it is right here for the Jays. Is there one player you think kind of has more say in the season than another? I mean, you know, if I look at – if I were to tell people Alec Manoa's pitched the way he has and that he's coming back and there's a chance he turns it around, I think in a vacuum you say, well, that guy will make the big biggest impact if he's great the team's going to be great and if he's not they'll probably struggle but they've gotten by with other starting pitching and not needing him as much I'd argue it's probably a bat that turning around would have the biggest impact on the season like if there's is there one I guess the best way to ask it is is there like an x factor in the second half of the season for you for this Jays team and because for me it would have to be a bat I don't know which guy it is I mean Vladdy's the easy one but I could also point to them getting more at a Varsho as well who would that be for you I think it's still got to be Vladdy. You know, he's hitting right in the top third of their order. He has come up, you know, with a lot of RBIs so far this year. He, you know, surprisingly, although Vladdy has been struggling and they've been struggling with runners in scoring position, that hasn't been like a partnership. He's actually hit really well with runners in scoring position this year, but they, I think they need some of the power back from him. I, I don't think that he alone will all of a sudden just turn them into a juggernaut again, but he is, you know, by most accounts, their most talented offensive player. If he's not first, he's second to Bo Bichette. And those two work in tandem. When Bo hits a double, they need Vlad to knock him in. And I think a couple times, you know, in this first half, 
when he was hitting well with runners in scoring position, it was men on first and second, and he rolls a single through and they score a run. I think if he's back to, you know, men on first and second and he hits a 450-foot homer, that's, you know, game-changing plays right there, big home runs. And we saw some of that power come back for him in the final two weeks of the second or of the first half of the season. He had four home runs in the last 15 games, eight extra base hits overall, and an OPS near 900. They really, I think, miss that constant production from him, but they need more, like you said, from Varsho. They need more from the Uh-oh. catchers, whether it's Kirk hitting better or just Jansen being more healthy. No talking bad about Vladdy yeah, on the Toronto right streets, now. Ben. They're coming for you. No talking bad about <laughs> Vladdy. We will not have this slander that I definitely no, no. led you to and forced you to say. Uh, yeah, no, you're you're right. You're right. Look, and it's funny, you know, I was talking with, uh, I got the chance to talk to Jose Bautista at the Joe Carter Golf Tournament a couple of weeks ago. Ooh. And yeah, Can we you just know. pick up that name you Let dropped me, Oh, yeah, no problem. Also talk to Kadri and Fanu. Not a big deal, Doug Gilmore, Wendell Clark, but with Batista, you know, I threw out the idea of there's a lot of guys who have ownership over this team, and he really quickly quashed that of, no, come on, it is Vladdy's team, and this is not to get into a Bo versus Vlad thing or anything mm, like that. Let's do it. Well, I mean, we, buddy, we got two weeks. We won't drag Ben into the mud with us, but me and you will do that, absolutely. But the idea, <laughs> the idea of Vladdy being the again, like the leader, but energy-wise, it seems like how he goes personality-wise is how this team goes. You know, when they were yucking it up and mashing balls all over the park last year, he was at such a big part of that. You go back to the MVP season and the team seemed to feed off his energy and not that he's been dour or sulking, but he hasn't been the full Vlad version of himself. And it does feel like the team kind of needs to get their swagger coming out of him, doesn't it? Yeah, I think he's a very confident player. A lot of the time when you see him at his best, it feels like he's at the plate and he's controlling a plate appearance. As much as the pitcher is delivering the ball, it's him dictating what parts of the zone that he's going to use and just completely walling off other parts so that he can find power pitches to drive. Right now, you know, he's looked less confident, I would say, until those last couple weeks because, you know, they went on that mini run and obviously it was Oakland, but he helped them beat Oakland in that series. He helped them beat San Francisco in that series. Uh, And and he was really massive for them in a couple of big games down the stretch. Also had a go-ahead homer against the White Sox in one of those games. So I I do think especially from, you know, kind of a off-the-field just personality mindset standpoint Vlad is one of if not you know the main emotional leader of this team and the better that he's going you know I think the better that everyone's going hitting to a certain extent I think is contagious and when Vladdy you know hits a double to score three runs there's less pressure on the next guy because the Blue Jays have a couple runs instead of they're trying to knock in their first run and it's the fifth inning or stuff like that so I, I do think that you still need contributions from lots of different people but I think Vladdy starting it would help other guys out probably too yeah certainly would uh Ben hopefully you got to uh, rest up uh during the break I know it's going to be a busy back half of the season for you so really appreciate you jumping on with us now thanks Ben yeah thanks so much guys have a good one there he goes, Ben Shulman, uh, part of the Blue Jays coverage here. Hear him on the mic often, hear him on the game call often, hear him on Jays Talk Plus and Jays Talk. Follow him in the game. Busy guy, utility player. The, uh, well, I was, I'm, you know, I know he, would, he wouldn't say this is disparaging him, but I was going to call him the Cavan Biggio of, of mm-hmm. Blue Jays coverage here. But, you know, 
I, I'm not John Schneider, and I don't love Kevin that much, so I wouldn't want to disparage Ben in uh, in that regard. Yeah, that's a guy I'd like to see. Not on the Blue Jays, anyway. Oh, I was like, Ben Shulman? <laughs> no, Kevin. So Kevin. Yeah, not a fan. Not a I fan. Think, I think that's a spot on the roster the Jays could probably improve. The the 24th man? Yeah. The idea of that? I, I just look at if I, if you're a team that that is the spot you need to improve, mm-hmm. you shouldn't be, we shouldn't be talking about you as a playoff team. We should be talking about you as a true World Series team. And that is the confounding nature of this Jays team is that when you go spot by spot across the lineup, again, with the expect, with the exception of second base, you go, okay, I'm actually good with that catcher. I'm good with that third baseman. I'm good with this outfielder. I'm good with that. The only spot on the roster is second base. And again, Merrifield's been far from problem. He's an all-star and I know he doesn't always play there, but that's the thing that just confuses me about this Jays team is that there is not the obvious in the regular lineup guy that you say, this guy, you have guys who need to perform better, but I don't look at guys saying you need to replace this player. And, and if I have a team like that, they should probably, again, not be a borderline playoff team. They should be a world series one. Yeah. But I'm just, I was just looking down the Jays roster and asking who you could replace. And it's, you're right. But like, it comes down to, I think a lot of good teams will have guys that are not, Ernie Clement and Kevin Biggio totally. and Nathan Lucas coming off the bench. Yep. Well, right? it's the it's the Ross Stripling corollary, right? Like Ross Stripling was great, and he became. I mean, last year was anything better than what anyone could have expected. But there's, a, but the Dodgers have guys like Ross Stripling, and they say we don't need him. The Blue Jays, or again, most teams in baseball have a guy like Ross Stripling, and say we do. Here's a spot for him. But yeah, it does highlight the the difference for sure. You know, a Clement, a Cavan, that goes to the idea that a lot of those teams would have guys who either have been pushed aside by younger talent, so they become bench pieces, and that just hasn't been happening for the Jays as well. So I'm with you. I'm not saying. Believe me, do not take this as an impact defense of Kevin Biggio is the 25th man. He's just a minus war guy. And yep. it just, it feels like, I mean, is he a spectacular defender? No. Is he, you know, it's like, oh, he's got a good eye. Maybe. Like, yeah, when he watches him go right down the he middle. He does. Boy, does he. Like, it's like the, the good Kevin Biggio at bat is one where he goes and, you know, he'll take a couple pitches, he'll get it to three, two, and then they'll just blow a heater by him. Like, you know, I think the worst thing that ever happened to Kevin Biggio was him coming up at the same time. All, the, all and, the kids, yeah. Bo and Vlad and like being like, hey, he's a son of one of the players right. too. Like it was like a very totally. like they were all paired together. And I think there was kind of some some expectations placed upon him. But maybe at the same time, kind of some leeway mm-hmm. for him. Definitely. And he came up with the same manager. And I think there's a lot of conversation between the manager and him. And he likes him a lot. Yeah, there's lots of, that, man, lots, for of, sure. lots of son jokes yeah. going along between the two of them. So. If they could find another lefty that kind of does the same thing but can hit above the Mendoza line and is maybe a you know a plus war player as yep. opposed to a minus, I think I would like to replace that. But I, outside of that, I think the team you're looking at is the team outside maybe a bullpen arm or something. And if you know, God forbid, your closer is actually injured, they're probably going to need to address that as well. I, like I don't, I guess if if Nate Pearson, like is he the guy that goes in there? If 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 you want, for example, um, I think they probably Jordan Romano goes on the on the IL. Yeah. After the all-star break here, which, I mean, I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility. Backs are yeah. tough for totally. a pitcher, like Ben Shulman said. Like, is it 
Is it uh, is it Nate Pearson that goes in? Is it uh, Swanson that goes in? Like, I, I don't know where they go with it. I mean, the easiest move, if this is the way it's supposed to be, is Garcia would be the safe option there because then you still have Swanson. You can use him in a couple of different ways. And I think they're still despite how bullish they should be on Pearson, I think mm-hmm. they're still really careful of ruining it. I don't think they want to rush him. And that that's not to say he can't pitch in leverage spots, but there's a difference between you are one of the leverage guys and you're the closer now when we have no one else. Mm-hmm. And I think the other thing about that is that with a back, again, it is so finicky that it could be something we never talk about again. He could be totally fine. It is concerning to hear that reporting coming out of shy that he felt a little tight and went in the game. Maybe maybe don't go in the game if you yeah. if you feel a little tight. I don't love that. Now I'm gonna but he also, wanted to go in. He wanted to go in. Yeah. And the other part of it as well is that did he have a quicker pull on himself because he knew that he yeah. was feeling tight. So I would again, and I am the most pessimistic person going, and even I am saying I wouldn't be overly concerned about okay. this if this was an arm thing then you're looking at is this a season yeah, in jeopardy grabbing and, at his elbow or and quite honestly and quite honestly if that's happening then and i know nobody wants to throw the towel in on a season but i don't know what you do because i don't know that this team is so good that if you lose romano and you are looking at a couple other pieces you have to replace then you have to do that but the good thing is i don't think we'll be having that conversation is pearson the guy you would go with in that leverage spot has to be doesn't it swanson yeah, can't be Garcia. It no, can't. It no. can't be Garcia. He's done it's a, in that. It's a, it's a choice between three guys. Swanson. Swanson. Oh, sorry, two guys. Swanson yeah, okay. and, and and Nate Pearson. <laughs> I was I was so excited to hear the third. I thought you were going to give me like a hot Adam and, Simber's back take. Well, the thing that we also talk about with this, we don't talk about a lot with this bullpen is the Chad Green. He's poking, poking. I think he's. When is he eligible to come off the? Can't remember. That's, has, has he been pitching yet? You're, he, you're he my also, insider he, he also looks exactly like Keegan, my buddy Keegan Patterson. He, he looks exactly like a Yankee is what, what he looks like. But, yes, he does uh, does look a lot like your uh, your boy Keegs there. So, again, uh, Jay's murderer's row coming up again. Let me just run down this schedule. Mm-hmm. How many of these series – I'm not expecting you to give me a hard and fast answer. This is a bit of a rhetorical question. Answer mm-hmm. it yourselves. How many of these series can they afford to lose between now – and the deadline in August. You got Diamondbacks, you got Padres, you got Mariners, you got Dodgers, you got Angels, you got O's, and then you're into August. How, like, honestly, can you afford to lose more than two of those series? I don't know that you can. No, and you got to win a series against uh, a team in your division. Yes. Would that be, is that, that's, no, it's too much to ask. No, you can't do that. It, no. it, it's a, killer this year it is they are really losing a lot of games to teams within their division like i think what are they this year against we talked about it with, 20, yeah seven, seven and 20? twenty we talked about mad, mad dog, dog yesterday yeah, yeah that's it's not it's not going well in the division and to the red sox i know somebody was 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 uh chirping me for calling saying the red sox stink but i mean he's like oh they're two games behind the that's the problem yes they do stink yes. they have a decent lineup mm-hmm. their pitching isn't very good no their bullpen isn't very good and the Jays have lost all the games they've played to them so far these, yep. this year. That is an issue. You win three of those games, look how much better you are in a playoff position. They're a bad team. They're the worst team in the division. You should beat them. So there yeah, you go. And it really doesn't get even easier after that. Uh, Guardians, and then, okay, the Cubs, that's fine. Uh, Phillies, Reds, Orioles, Guardians. Hey, the National. Like, it is just a murderer's row from here on out. You have the odd reprieve here and there. A lot of good baseball teams to be played by the Blue Jays between now and the deadline and between now and hopefully a playoff run for them. What's going on 
in the world of golf. We continue to wonder. We continue to ask ourselves. Maybe our next guest has some answers. I know he'll at the very least have some opinions. Getting up early for us. Barstool Riggs going to join us next from the Four Play Podcast. Can't wait to talk to him. We got one segment left on here on Fan Morning Show with Gunning and McKee on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Dive deep into Toronto sports and the NFL. The J.D. Bunkus Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. morning show brent gunning sam mckee here with me very very happy to be joined by our last guest of the day we love our grinders on the morning show this guy's a grinder getting up at 5 30 in the morning his time to do this you know him as Riggs from barstool host of foreplay pod on barstool sports Riggs, thanks so much for taking the time how you doing this morning man i'm great gentlemen how are you guys you guys holding in there yeah, we're well. One of us is better than than other. Uh, the guy talking to you right now, morning guy with a kid, so I'm up early all the yeah. time. The other guy, uh, we're both coming off a long golf trip, and I got to be honest, he's a little grouchy. He doesn't like getting up. So it. maybe you can cheer him up, Riggs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This week, this so uh, our entire office is off. July fourth week here in the United States. So last week everybody's off. This last Monday, so a couple days ago is historically for us the hardest day of the entire year because you come off like nine days of vacation and all of a sudden you're just <laughs> back in it and it's hot and it's sweaty and it's humid everywhere. So I get it. But look, we work on East Coast time and if I'm going to live in Arizona, this is part of the deal and I'm going to have to get up early. So I'm pretty used to it. Not a problem. There's a lot going on. So my brain's spinning anyway, so it's not a problem for me. Yeah, and thank God for this golf story, Riggs, because this is literally the worst time uh, of, to host a, a show, a three-hour morning show. There's not one thing to talk about. Thank God for golf being weird. <laughs> it's been, uh, you know, look, outside of uh, uh, all the obvious negatives that everyone's touched on, for the last two years for, for us doing a golf podcast and running kind of a, a new age golf brand, it's given us just endless things to talk oh about God, that yeah. you never thought you would have to talk about and global implications between two, four and powers. And we're like, what are we talking about? We do a golf podcast. So it's been, it's been absolutely wild for the last two years. Oh, what? You didn't expect to talk about congressional hearings on the foreplay plot? <laughs> I, for what, am shocked. Shocked to hear that, Riggs. Yeah, I know. We're in the exact same boat of, uh, you know, my joke. I was told there'd be no math, and now I have to talk about salary caps every day for the rest of my life. Uh, and, yes, it feels like we're all, like, half lawyers uh, going over this PGA Tour thing. So, I guess with the big – there was no – it's funny. We talk about this, like, big news, and it was a lot of information that got dropped yesterday. But I feel like we're all just here kind of scratching our heads wondering what's going on. Like, what was your big takeaway? What jumped out to you the most from yesterday? Yeah, it's interesting. It's a good point because, you know, the right. I think when, when this was announced a little over a month ago, it was shocking, right? It, it took over every um, sports program. It took over. I was on CNBC's, you know, primetime show at 7 p.m. Eastern. They led with it because it was such a shocking story of the PGA Tour announcing that they're going to come together. They're going to form with the PIF, uh, a new entity. They're calling it NUCO at the time. Now it might be PGA Tour Enterprise, something along those lines. But they're going to come together with these guys who they have been relentlessly burying in the media. They've been taking, PGA Tour, been taking the moral high ground for over a year. They've been invoking 
um, you know, Saudi Arabia and, and uh, their complicit, how complicit they were and, and how much they, they supported and how they're redacting things from documents involving 9-11. And then, bang, all of a sudden, Jay Monahan is sitting up there with Yasser Al-Ramayan on CNBC saying, you know, we're coming together. We think this is the best thing for the game of golf and for, for everybody that had been following the story. It was like, what? What are you talking about? And all the back and forth between Phil Mickelson and the comments that he has made and, and him, you know, calling the Saudis certain bad names and then partnering with them and being there at the first event and getting banned. And, and you know, last year, Phil literally didn't show up to the PGA Championship where he was the defending champion. He didn't show up to the Masters where he's won three green jackets. So, there was such divisiveness in the game of golf, and then bang, out of nowhere, they just sat there together and announced that they were going to form a partnership, but they didn't announce really any details. And if you know, as we've learned more over the last month, it pretty much turns out that they announced uh, an agreement to try to come to an agreement. And to most people, that's not <laughs> that exciting, but to them – the key move and the reason they moved it out very hastily was to end all litigation. The PIF, um, you know, Saudi's public investment fund has 620 or so billion dollars. The PGA tour has about a billion and a quarter or so in assets. So the PIF was going to play this game forever. They're like, no problem. We can keep going to court. We'll keep suing you. You sue us. You'll run out of money. We'll never run out of money and we'll win this thing. Um, and the PGA Tour kind of realized that. And I think for most people, that's an empathetic situation the Tour was in. You're up against a giant financially. They're just going to overpay all of your athletes. They're going to outpay you and outspend you in court. And eventually you can't keep up. But, the, you know, the issue for a lot of people in the world of golf that have been in golf for a long time is that, you know, the Tour was able to act incredibly arrogantly for decades. And they're able to get away with that. For a lot of reasons, they were the head honcho. They were the only honcho. It was the only place to go. It was the only place to play. It was the only place, if you're wanting to spend money in the world of golf up until YouTube and all that existed, mm-hmm. if you're an advertiser that wants to spend money, you pretty much can only spend it on the PGA Tour. If you're a media conglomerate or media entity or journalist or whatever, you want to cover golf, you could pretty much only cover the PGA Tour. Uh, and, and guess what the PGA Tour had? Tiger Woods, they had the biggest athlete on the planet for 25 years. And so they basically could say, hey, you want access, you want to cover Tiger Woods, here's what you're going to do. You're going to play by our rules. And they were able to get away with that for a very long time. And then somebody incredibly smart with unlimited money came along and was able to, in less than two years, basically, finagle away where he, Yasser Al-Ramayan, who is the chairman of Aramco, which did $161 billion in profit last year, which is a record for any publicly held company. <laughs> not bad. He's the chairman of Newcastle United. Uh, he's on the bank of Uber and SoftBank. He is the governor of the PIF, and he now will be the chairman of this new entity that the tour of the PIF are going to come together and create. This guy's very smart. He's got unlimited money. And he, in, in two years or so, was able to basically strategically figure out a way where he now has one of the most powerful seats at the table in golf. And so so that's pretty much what the Senate hearing was about yesterday was like, 
So what the hell's going on? So <laughs> then, what do you? Th- the, the, I think the most also fa- still not a member at Augusta and the Royal and Ancient though. He tried. Good on him. <laughs> the, the the most fascinating yep. thing that I think came out of yesterday was you know Tiger Woods and Roy McIlroy could have been offered ownership of a live golf team franchise as part of the proposed deal. Like we had the discussion in our first block about the chances of that actually happening, and they do seem really far fetched. But at the same time, now that Rory and, you know, Tiger for a lesser extent have, you know, fought so hard against the evil before the evil just took over everything. Like, I think the chances of that actually happening could be higher than we think. Like, don't don't you think there is a world where they fought so hard against it that they're just like, screw it, we're going to take this money, we're going to do that? Well, yeah, look, you know, we've noticed that Rory McIlroy in the last month since this all was kind of announced, which, again, nothing in detail has been announced, but they did say that they're going to try to agree. Um, you know, he's been, he's been much more muted. He's been, he's been very quiet. Um, even when he, he played up in, up in Canada, the Canadian open, he's very quiet. Uh, and I think everybody can understand why, you know, yeah. he was sort of the, the face of the tours stance against this existential threat. And then bang, without him even knowing, they just announced that they're partnering with these guys. And so that obviously puts, it puts everybody else in a position where they kind of realize they didn't really have the ability to pull the strings and somebody else was, uh, and, and those other folks are going to continue to do so. But in terms of the Tiger and the Rory, you know, uh, and even in terms of Yasser wanting a, a membership at Augusta, if, any, if you're leading the negotiations in anything, you shoot for the stars. Mm-hmm. So they put in there, yep, we're going to have Tiger Woods and Roy McIlroy going to own teams. We're going to get Yasser's going to be a member at the RNA so we can play St. Andrews. You're going to be a member at uh, Augusta National so he can uh, uh, play at Augusta whenever he wants. Like you shoot for the stars when you're negotiating. So to me, you know, it, there's a there's obviously concern for us over here. Pretty much anyone in the in the civilized Western world, even the folks over in the Premier League when it happened with Newcastle United a couple of years ago, there's concern that the Saudis, who have a horrific record on human rights, on all kinds of terrible things, and, and very recently, by the way, mm-hmm. there's a concern of them coming over, right, and being able to buy up and capture uh, entities, organizations, associations that are incredibly influential in our culture, in our way of life. We love sports, right? You guys do a show about sports. Sports are why a lot of people do what they do. They work from 8 a.m. till 5 p.m. so they can grab a beer and watch the game with the fellas or with the gals or with whomever. Um, and they talk about it. They talk about salary caps. They learn math like you guys have so that they can actually <laughs> talk about it. And that's what they like to do. And so if these guys, who again are historically and not that long ago, bad people, come over and buy up huge entities that are that influential in our society, in our day-to-day life. I think for a lot of people, that's insanely concerning. Uh, and so that's sort of why the Senate's, you know, got involved here is like, wait, you know, do we need to, do we need to keep an eye on this? And it's a little bit of a tricky spot because this is a free capitalist, free enterprise society where if two, you know, entities want to come together and cut a deal, yeah, government's not supposed to jump in and, yeah. and mess with that or block that, right? You're supposed to allow that to occur. So it's a, you know, it's a tricky situation with pretty big implications. 
Yeah, I think I think that's the that's the kind of overwhelming point we all have gotten to here is like I would love there to be a cut and cut and dry black and white answer. I acted as though there was one all throughout the beginning of this going, ah, just tell Liv and the Piff to get lost. And guess what? Was never going to happen, could never happen. Um, I don't know that anyone has come out of this looking worse than Jay Monahan. And it seems like every time there is literally one drop of news, it gets worse for him. What do we think happened? He just forgot. He was scared to call Rory McIlroy and Tiger. We saw the must-call list that him and Pelly both divvied up. Somehow they both had to talk to Rolex, but uh, only one of them had to talk to Rory and Tiger. What do we think happened there? And is it, again, just kind of another black eye that Monaghan's been taking throughout a lot of this? Yeah, it's, you know, I, I was chatting with a friend yesterday, and we were kind of using the term that, like, I feel like Monaghan's skill set is that he's a peacetime president and he's in wartime. Right not now. a wartime consigliere, just, nope. He's not, he's not necessarily been the right guy. And look, there are figures coming out. You know, Ron Price, is CEO, COO of the PG Tour, was up there with Jimmy Dunn yesterday. And like, I followed golf pretty closely. I didn't even know who the hell that guy was until yesterday morning. So Agree. It, it's probably <laughs> going to come out that there's. There's a lot of folks pulling strings behind the scenes, and, and Jay Monahan is, is probably, you know, not as personally, as directly at fault as it might seem. But right now, he's probably the least popular person in sports that I can ever think of. I mean, it will be played. He will be remembered every room he walks into for the rest of his life as the guy that sat up there invoked the 9-11 attacks, said you'll never have to apologize for playing on the PGA Tour, and then one year later sat next to those same guys that he said they would have to apologize for playing for and, and laughed and fake smiled and said, yeah, yeah we're going to cut a deal. And so, you know, he'll be remembered for that forever, which is very tricky for going forward. If they're going to uh, apparently make Jay Monahan the CEO of this new entity, you know, anybody who watched, that, that interview with Yasser and, and Jay a month ago, you know, he was not the alpha in that interview. And so I think a lot of people are concerned that, you know, money talks. The Saudis are the ones with the money. If Yasser is going to be the chairman of this thing and Jay Monahan is going to be the CEO, it doesn't seem like Jay Monahan is the powerful, you know, alpha in that situation right now. And so people get, again, concerned that, like, it doesn't feel like the PGA Tour and our guys are like the ones in power here. So I think, for again, for a lot of folks, that's pretty damn concerning. Yeah, and I think, I think again, a lot of people who probably aren't paying super close attention to this, they're saying, hold, hold on. Greg Norman has to go, but Jay Monahan gets to stay. And it's, yeah, one of those guys is useful to this entity in Monahan, And the other one in Norman, it seems like he's going to be a bit of a sacrificial lamb, you know. And the question I think I have coming out of this, not mostly, but one of them is just what ends up happening with Liv? You know, they've been pretty adamant thus far that it will continue to go, but... It was a means to an end, right? The whole purpose of Live was, yeah, in, in a perfect world, you could create a competitive golf circuit, but it was to force this wedge and wedge their way into the game. Now that they don't necessarily need that, do you expect Live to just kind of dry up? And I guess this all goes back to the first question of the idea of Rory and Tiger getting teams. Like, just what do we expect the future kind of holds for Live? I imagine the PGA Tour and the DP World Tour will look not 
not exactly like it looks now, but somewhat similar. Liv, I could be talked into anything. I could be talked that they're going to continue to hammer it home as a must-have thing. I could also see a world where it just ends up in the dust in six months. Well, what do you think? Yeah, this is the fun part, right? Because it's all conjecture and speculation, right? We get to just kind of say and guess whatever we want about what might happen because they haven't put any details out yet. So nobody really knows. It does appear that Liv was, for all intents and purposes, kind of this distraction, this leverage, this this vehicle that Yasser used um, to pull players away from the tour, to fracture the PGA Tour, to a point where the tour had to come to the table and do a deal, and then he sort of used that, got this key, incredibly powerful seat at the table, and that now the tour and how strongly they truly are and feel against Liv and against Norman, that, you know, the, the things that did come out from yesterday that are interesting are sort of these, you know, they it seems like they want Liv to be disbanded. They want Greg Norman to be gone. Um, and, and, you know, the more I'm learning about it and about Yasser, like, I think he picked Greg Norman for a reason because I think he could throw Norman out there. He could be this bombastic, loud guy who has 20, 30, 40 years history of wanting to change professional golf, of being against the PGA Tour. And then all of a sudden when they get in a room with Yasser, they're like, oh, this guy's not so bad. This guy's great. This guy's like a reasonable person that we could talk to. And he seems fantastic. And so, again, a lot of that's conjecture. I think that what the PGA Tour and, and Liv are most likely going to do is that the fall series, which the tour has always struggled to kind of create yep. an identity for in the fall, uh, is going to transform into some version of Liv or a team series or, or something that is, is closer kind of to Liv than what we've seen before. That seems to be kind of the predominant theory because – you know, the tour from January when they kick off in Hawaii and we turn on our TVs and it's dark outside, but there's whales and they're playing golf. And then, you know, they do the West Coast swing and they go through the Florida swing and then you lead up to the Masters. Like that part of the schedule and that whole build up and the way that it's gone down since they restructured moving the PGA from August uh, to May, that part's great. And I it think is. it 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 kind of crescendos at the right time. They figured it out where the, the playoff events finish sort of right before football gets going so they don't have to go up against Sundays, but they still have just not figured out sort of what they do after Labor Day until January 1st or so. And, and so that could potentially be where Liv kicks in. But, um, but yeah, if you're a golf fan, I mean, again, this is the fun part. You get to kind of speculate and, and, and I don't want to over, you know, there's obviously a lot of concern. And I mentioned the Saudis and all that people are very aware of all that. There is a chance that, this is all great and it's roses and it's beautiful. And that, you know, Yasser really wants to do what's great for golf. And guess what? This guy that wants to do great things for golf partners with the PGA tour. He partners with Fred Ridley and Augusta and Martin slumbers in the RNA. And he brings billions of dollars and that allows golf to grow everywhere. That's kind of what they were trying to say yesterday, the PGA tour, but you know, that'd be lovely. I hope that that happens. I hope that occurs, but I find it a little difficult to believe that like Yasser Al-Ramayan is just taking course flyovers and like marking his golf balls the night before because he's such a golf nut like the rest <laughs> of us. Like, I just, I don't know that that's the case. Um, and so again, we'll just, we'll kind of have to wait and see, I guess. 
Oh, he should go on a golf pod and talk about all his favorite holes uh, to prove it. Uh, maybe yours, maybe ours. Who knows? Uh, Riggs is listening. Uh, we'd love to have him on the show. So, so would we competing golf pods, but we love you. Uh, thanks so much for coming on, man. Uh, really, really appreciate the chat. And again, grinding, getting up 530 uh, at your time. Really appreciate it. Thanks so much, man. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. There he goes, uh, Barstool Riggs. That is a man who sounds super plugged in now because he is also going to be super plugged in for next year's U.S. Open because it is at one of his favorite places on earth, Pinehurst, which he stayed at for like half of COVID. Remember we had him on? The moral uh, compass. Was, that's right, the moral compass uh, of Pinehurst. So he'll have a lot of insight there. That was an awesome chat. Good job by our, our pal Austin tracking him down. And good job by Riggs getting up at 530. Yeah, a lot there. I, I think the fall series thing is great insight. Yep. I think that would be something where they could stay. And the, the sad reality of all this, Gunner, and we've chatted about this before mm-hmm. the golf show, is that if this just goes, to, if this makes it through Congress, yes. which is, <laughs> by the way, the congressional hearings were wild yesterday. There was a yeah. guy, one guy is a senator or something from Kansas. He's like, I'd just like to shout out Gary Woodland, good Kansas boy. <laughs> it was amazing. There's another, one guy is talking about name and license and some dog whistling regarding rappers and battles. I didn't like what was going on there. Those things got wild. Another guy was just talking about his golf game, wild stuff at Congress yesterday. But I do think there's a world where the last thing Riggs mentioned there about how, you know, this is great. Like people don't talk about Real Madrid, uh, sorry, not Real Madrid, uh, the Newcastle and Manchester City, yep. who just won the treble and they're looked upon as one of the best teams in the world. Yep. Like they're banking on the sports washing working, mm-hmm. right? They, yeah, you're banking. a soccer guy, is it? Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't grind every day over the papers. Right. <laughs> Uh, in London, like I'm not, I don't know. You could, I couldn't tell you one paper in London. I'm not reading the back pages, okay. but like in my little Twitter world within where good. like people don't, or people aren't like, what an incredible treble win for the man city. But how could I ever right. enjoy this right. because of the blood money involved? I think there's a world where this just works and people have completely forgot about the thing. And it's the golf has never been better than it is before. It's possible. It absolutely is. I am. I did rule that out at one point in time, not ruling it out going forward. Although the one thing I will say about mm-hmm. that, and I do think you're right, is that as this goes into more sports, it will be harder to do with just this is, uh, and I know we sound like crybabies when we say this, golf's an easy target, right? People love to go, oh, elitist golf, of course you would partner with the evil Saudis. But like you said, look at everything else that's, that's like everywhere. F1? Yeah, right, like F1. But people don't look at F1 that way until it goes to Monaco, and then then they do. Uh, but I I, uh, I digress there. I'm with you. I think it'll be really fascinating to see a play out. Fall series stuff obviously makes a lot of time, although that'd be a big blow to our Canadians. They always win the Sanderson Farms Championship Invitational, whatever one it is. <laughs> Nick Taylor's won it. Mac Hughes has won yeah. it. Uh, I believe Hadwin's won it as well, uh, or Pendrith, one of the two. Also, uh, good luck to Adam Hadwin. He is the second alternate for the Open Championship next week so uh you know you'd never want anyone to not be able to play but if two guys couldn't well, that would be lovely for our boy let's just hope for let's just hope for a couple backs to tighten up on the a flight little Roman- just a little romano yeah. that's all we're saying nothing more than that uh it's been a pleasure of a show with you today Thank uh, you. i'm proud of you you uh you you got through it what are we going to do tomorrow is the question well, so i again. told you yeah six o'clock tomorrow yes we'll talk about grinders like we yeah. always do not a ton of grinders texting in today. I would no. like to have more tomorrow. We didn't feed them. We didn't feed them though. That was a problem. We got too bogged down in talking about sports somehow. Um, crazy. But tomorrow, tonight, I need you to go oh, home right. and grind over some homework. Well, first of all, sleep for four hours. Yeah. And then grind over your homework. I want three 
separate William Nylander trades. Okay. And this isn't a vacuum. No. We're not talking about his no trade list. Yeah, yeah, we're, yeah, like, no. we don't, we're not speculating on that. No. Three it has to work trades. under the cap, yes. but otherwise, and that's it. If you go to Cap Friendly, they have a wonderful trade machine. So we'll, go there. We will do that. J.D. Bunkers will talk to you next. We'll be back tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Fan Morning Show.